Um, you know, over the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about the gift of light and the gift of hope and the gift of purpose. And today, as we wrap up our series, pun intended, we're going to be talking about the gift of life, the gift of life. And this really is the most significant of all the specific gifts of Christmas that Christ brought to us through his coming. Because without this gift being made available and being made a reality, none of the other gifts would have nearly as much value or significance. Everything, everything hinges on Christ's gift of life. And it was, it was this gift that was his primary purpose in leaving heaven to come to earth, to become fully man in addition to being fully God. Think about that. You have the eternal God. We're told in John 1 that he is the word that existed for all of eternity with the Father and that through him everything was made. So you have the almighty God eternal Worshipped for eternity up to the point of him leaving heaven by countless angels. The glory of heaven surrounding him. Perfect oneness with his father. And then he left it all. He left it all to come to this earth where he knew he would be rejected, not received. Where he knew he'd be mocked, ridiculed, beaten. And where he knew he would end the human experience that he took on to himself in a brutal, horrible death. As the song that Matthew just sang said, it was all for you. It was all for me. And the, the primary purpose of him coming to earth was that, was that alone. I'm sure that many of you have already read Luke chapter 2. Uh, with your families, either last night at Christmas Eve or this morning, or maybe after you go home today after our service, uh, you know, and you've probably read that, and, and I'm sure that's part of your Christmas tradition. You've probably referred to it as the Christmas story, right? And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that passage being referred to that way. But this morning, this morning, I want us to focus our attention on a different part of Scripture that proclaims the message of Christmas just as clearly as Luke 2. I want you to look at John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. John 3, 16 and 17. It's on your handout for you, also on the screen. The Bible says this, For God loved the world in this way. This is how he loved. This is the demonstration of his love. This is the extent of his love. He gave, which is what you do with a gift, right? It's what happens with a gift. You give it. He gave sacrificially. He gave the ultimate gift, the priceless gift, his one and only son. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son, whom he had had an eternity of love and fellowship with. Don't miss that point. Don't forget that. The first time Jesus shows up is not the baby in the manger. He had existed for all of eternity 
up to that point. And the Father gave Jesus. He gave His one and only Son for what purpose? So that, so that everyone, everyone who believes in Him, in Jesus, in the one and only Son that was given, everyone who believes in Him will not perish, will not perish, even though that's exactly what we all deserve to perish. Rightly so. By inherited sin and by chosen sin. It's what we deserve. But God gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The gift of life. This next verse is equally important. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world even though that would be fair and right and just. We see mercy on display. Indescribable mercy. We see grace. We see love. Because even though he had every right to condemn the world and that's what the world deserved, he did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world. But that the world might be saved through him. Isn't that great news? That's the good news, church. That's the gospel. It's the gospel. And it's the whole Christmas story. The whole point of Christmas is contained in these two verses. You know, we we know John 3.16, most of us, if not all of us. I mean, really, you don't even have to be a believer to know John 3.16. I mean, it's that common. It's that familiar just about. But in these two verses, there is so much power. There is so much hope. There is so much joy. The, the entire message of Christmas summed up in those two verses. And what John 3.16 and, and 17 communicate to us, what they show us about the coming of Jesus, what they show us about his birth, what they show us about his purpose and his point, the entire point of what we celebrate all month long is this. It's, it's this, this reality. It's that Christ's birth made new life possible. Christ's birth made new life possible. That's why he came. That's why he was born. That's why he had to be born. Because you and I and all of humanity had a desperate need and still have a desperate need. Everyone who's ever born has the same need. That's the need for new life. Because the Bible makes it very clear. Through Adam and as a result of Adam, we are born into death. Every single one of us. You know, and and I love babies just like anyone. And they seem so perfect when they're first born, don't they? I mean, they're just so innocent and so small and just beautiful. And, and, and yet, we're reminded very quickly, very quickly, that no, they're not perfect, no matter how they may look. They're not perfect because, I mean, they, they smell, right? And they cry. And they scream. They, they, they want the whole world to revolve around them. And for a long time, it does. The problem is when the baby grows older, uh, all of us who were babies that grow older, we still expect that the world continues to revolve around us, right? And we still do the, wah, it just sounds a little bit better. But we're still doing the same thing. See, we're all born 
from the moment we're born, we're born into a selfishness. We're born into a self-centeredness. We're born into a sinful way of life. All of us were born into death. And unless something is done to reverse that course, that's exactly how we'll end. We'll end in an eternal death. But thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He made the way possible for new life to be had. He made new life possible. And it all came about through the birth of Jesus Christ. That's why he came. That's what the manger is about. It's saying new life is possible. But my friends, it was not just that Jesus was going to be born as a baby. The virgin birth was not miraculous in that it was just a baby that was born through a virgin birth and that was it. No, the the whole point of Jesus coming, the whole point of Jesus being born is that he would go to the cross. That was the whole point. It's why he came. It's why he was born. It's why he grew. It's why he lived. All so that he would die in our place on the cross. You see, not only does Christ's birth make new life possible, but Christ's death made new life available. Christ's death made new life available. Mark 10.45 says this, and again, this is the purpose of Christmas. Don't miss it. The purpose of Christmas, Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man, that's another name for Jesus, that's his messianic title, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, even though, again, he had every right to be served. This is very God on earth. This is the creator of everything here in humanity. Of course he had every right to be served. He could have stood up and said to everyone, Now everyone come, serve me. Everyone bow before me. Everything you have is mine. He would have been well within his rights. Because this is, after all, the eternal Son of God. But you know what Philippians 2 says? Even though, even though he, Jesus, had equality with God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be used of his own advantage. Instead, instead, he emptied himself of his divine prerogatives and took on to himself the form of a slave. And when he, Jesus, had come in external form as a human, he became obedient to death, even to death on a cross. That's your Savior. That's the Savior we celebrate today. That's the Savior who came as a baby, but whose whole purpose was not just to come and experience humanity, not just to see what it was like. His whole purpose was to go to the cross, where a divine exchange took place. Where Romans says that God was the justifier, was was just and the justifier. See, we were justified, we were declared right before God, all because of Christ's sacrifice. On the cross, there was an exchange that happened. 
He got all my sin, and he got all of your sin, all the wrong you will ever do, all the wrong you have ever done. He took that on himself. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hallelujah. That's what happened at the cross. He got all my sin, I got his righteousness. He got my eternal death and the consequence for all my sin, and I got eternal life and all the favor and love of the Father. And so did you if you're in Christ this morning. That's what happened at the cross. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. There it is again, the gift of life. To give his life a ransom for many. Praise Praised be to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only Savior of the world. Is he your Savior? Is he your Savior today? That's the question that you have to ask of yourself and that needs to be answered today. Is the Savior of the world also your Savior? Oh, I hope so. You know, there's a, a very familiar Christmas song. I'm sure you've, you've heard it, you've sung it. Hark the herald angels sing. It's an amazing song. And one of my favorite lines in the song is this one. Born, speaking of Jesus, born that man no more may die. We don't have to have eternal death as our fate. It's not, a, it's not something that has to happen. We have the ability to be rescued and delivered from that through Jesus. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Only one did that for me, like the song said. Only one did that for you. And his name is Jesus. Christ's journey to the manger truly began his journey to the cross. Christ's journey to the manger began his journey to the cross. And the manger that we see all around us this time of year, the manger is God the Father proclaiming something. He's proclaiming the work of redemption has begun. It's here. It's now. The work of redemption has begun. It's what the manger proclaims. And the cross, which the manger led to, the cross is the Father proclaiming the work of redemption is finished. Isn't that great? There now no longer needs to be a sacrifice for sin, Hebrews tells us. For the sacrifice has been made once for all. The cross is the Father proclaiming the work of redemption that was started at the manger is now finished. But it didn't end there, did it? Didn't end there, did it? No. Didn't end there. The giving of the gift of life did not end at the cross. I'm so thankful for that. Because had it ended at the cross, if that had been the final say, then nothing else would have mattered. All the hope and the light and the purpose and the joy and the peace that Christ brought with him. If everything had ended at the cross, then none of that would have mattered anymore. It would have been just like the hope and the peace and the joy that anybody else could have promised but failed to deliver on. You see... Christ's resurrection, Christ's resurrection made new life continual and personal. Christ's resurrection made new life continual 
and personal. Paul tells us that if Christ was not raised, then we are of all men most to be pitied. For Christ died in vain. There was no point if he didn't rise from the dead. Christ died died in vain and we are yet in our sins, Paul says. If there was no resurrection, if Jesus didn't truly rise from the dead after dying, then we are of all people, all Christians everywhere in the world are to be the most pitied and we are the biggest fools ever. Because we are staking our entire eternity on something that didn't actually matter because nothing took place to bring it to all of us. Nothing took place to to make it fulfilled. Nothing took place that would make God accept it if Christ did not raise from the dead. But, but, in the same passage Paul says, but Christ did rise from the dead and we do now have hope. Christ's birth made new life possible. Christ's death made new life available. And Christ's resurrection makes new life continual and personal. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 25. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25. The Bible says this. There were many priests under the Old System, under the Old Testament, under the Old Priesthood. For death prevented them from remaining in office. That's pretty common sense, right? You know, they didn't live forever. They died, so somebody else became priest after them, and on and on. But because, verse 24, but because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Amen. We need an eternal priest. We need one, like Hebrews says, that was tempted in all ways as we were yet without sin. We need a priest whose blood speaks better things than that of Abel. And we have one. We have Jesus, the eternal priest, and what he does in his priesthood, oh, church, it's so amazing. It's so needed. I'm so thankful for it. You need to be as well. Verse 25, look at what, it, what his priesthood involves. Verse 25, therefore, therefore, speaking of the fact that verse 24 said his priesthood lasts forever, therefore, he, he alone, he only, he supremely, Jesus, therefore, he is able once and forever to save Those who come to God through him. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He cleared it up for us. He said, I'm it. I'm the exclusive way to salvation. I'm the exclusive way to eternal life. I'm the exclusive way to hope that never lasts, never ends. I'm the exclusive way to joy and life unimaginably good. It's, it's only him. I'm so thankful for that because I don't do well with a lot of choices with things. Like, you know, ordering in a, in a restaurant just about stresses me out to no end because I'm like, well, that looks good, that looks good, that sounds good, you know. I don't, I don't do well with multiple choices. I'm so glad Jesus cleared it up. He said, you don't have to worry about this belief system or that religion over there or that leader or that teacher. No, no, no. I'm it. You want to know God? You want to know heaven? Look at me. Come to me. Come through me. I'm it. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Listen to this part. This is, this is just great. This is great. You ready? He lives forever to intercede with 
God on their behalf. That's you and me if we're in Christ. If you've come to Jesus Christ admitting your need of him as your Savior, if you've believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and he is the Lord of all and that he is your Lord and your Savior, if you've given him your life, then the Bible promises, just, you just read it, that Jesus ever lives as he rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, but it's not like he's just sitting there not doing anything. No, Christian, Christian, he's interceding for you right now, this moment. He is the ultimate lawyer, a good lawyer that's pleading your case. Because you know what the Bible also says? That just as we have an eternal priest, an eternal intercessor, we also have a very real adversary, an enemy, who constantly brings accusation against the saint. We have an enemy who has access to God. Maybe you didn't know that. He has access to the Father where he is the prosecuting attorney, attorney of all humanity. He's the prosecutor. And he comes before the Father, and he says, you know what they did. You know the way they've lived their life. Oh, sure, they, they came to Jesus. Woo! Do you see all the sin they're still choosing? Did, did you know the lie they just told? Did you see what went into his mind? What he thought about? Did you hear what they said to one another? Did you see the habit that they fell back into again? You see the thing they just can't kick? They're making a mockery of the name of your son. (laughs) Saved? So what? What's that matter? Look at them. And just accusation after accusation after accusation is brought about you and about me before the Father. The Father says, you're right. They're a sinner. They're guilty. They have sinned, they are sinning, and they are guilty. I'm not going to argue that. But then, (laughs) then there's Jesus who says, "Uh, (laughs) no, no, no. Hold it. Hold it. Yeah, They sinned in every way you just said. Yeah, they're guilty. But all of their sin and all of their guilt was put on me. And I covered it and I covered them with my blood. And they are under my blood for all of eternity. They are righteous by my righteousness. They have my righteousness clothing them. They are completely in me and under me. And you have nothing to say because therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter who you were, what you've done What you still struggle with, friend, not that there is an excuse to keep on sinning. That's not what I'm going to, what I'm talking about or what I'm trying to communicate. Paul had a lot to say about that. He said, what, should we sin so that grace can keep abounding? No, God forbid. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is there is hope for you. Yes, you are weak. Yes, you're going to fall. But you can get right back up again because there is a living Savior and an eternal intercessor interceding for you every moment. 
And the father looks at you and he sees the righteousness of his son. And he looks at you and he he sees all your weakness and all your flaws, yes, but then he sees the blood of his son covering it all and he says, innocent, innocent, by virtue of Jesus. New life is continual, it never ends. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. The old has passed away. All things have become new. That's continual. Continually new. And it's personal. It's personal. We just saw it here. That he is able once and forever to save those. That's all those. That's, that's every individual that comes to Jesus Christ. Why he's your personal savior and my personal savior, not just a general worldwide savior. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The thing about this gift of life, though, that we need to understand this gift of life, this great gift of life, we need to understand that we have to admit our need for it. It's very important. We have to admit our need. For it, we have to recognize and agree with God about our state. We have to agree with God and admit our poverty and, and our desperate need. And that's hard. That's hard. Because that wars against our pride and our ego. That wars against everything that we're told to be in our, in our culture. It, it means that we need to admit things like... The fact that we can't be righteous enough, that we can't do what is necessary to have a right relationship with God. It's hard. It's tough. Nobody likes to admit weakness. That's why we have such a hard time admitting that maybe we need help with our finances. You know, we, we don't like to admit that. Or maybe it's like, you know, we need to admit we're, we're having problems in our marriage. We need somebody to help us in our marriage. None of us like to admit that. It's hard. And it's hard to admit that we have the need for a Savior. Because it's admitting that we are a sinner first. But we have to admit that. We have to admit it. And if we do, oh, oh, if we do, if we admit that, the life that we gain, the life we experience, not perfect and worry-free, that's not it at all. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trials and tribulation, but be of good cheer, he said. Not because all that just goes magically away. He didn't say you're not ever going to have struggles. You're not ever going to have trials. No, no, no. He said you will. You will have trouble. You will have trials. You will have persecution. You will suffer in this world. But, but, in all of that, be of good cheer. Be encouraged. Why? Because I have overcome the world, he said. So, oh, if we will admit our need for the Savior and receive him, oh, the life we will have, the life we will experience. Hope-filled, light-filled, purpose-filled, life-filled from a constantly perfect Savior who is always, always Emmanuel. Always Emmanuel. Somebody in our midst experienced just how true that is, how sweet life in Christ really is, how desperate the need for life in Christ really is. At this time, I'd like to have Cormie come up. He's going to share just briefly a portion of his testimony, how he came to that same realization and what resulted from it. Cormie. 
Those of you who've been around here any length of time know that I'm a recovering alcoholic, a recovering chronic alcoholic. But with the help of a very devoted old German doctor and a very active support group, he helped me to get sober and the support group has helped me to stay sober. And that was for quite a while. My life was miserable. Absolutely miserable. It was becoming unbearable. I reached a point where I did not want to live drunk. Neither did I want to live sober. On the outside, I was doing wonderful. I was in the Army. I was getting awards. I was getting promoted. But on the inside... As one of my buddies told me, I was deader than a door, deader than a doornail. <laughs> I don't know how dead a doornail is, but uh, that was his <laughs> phrase. I was absolutely miserable. Now, when you don't want to live drunk and you don't want to live sober, there's only one way to take care of that, and that's suicide. And that's what I was planning. I had all the paraphernalia that I needed. I wanted to make sure it worked because I'd seen other guys mess up on it. I didn't want that to happen. I wanted to make sure. So I had everything ready. And one night at our support group, one of the guys picked up on the fact that I might be thinking about that. And after the meeting, he, he came to me and talked to me personally. He said, I think you need some spiritual help. And he says, I can't help you, but I know somebody who can. And he took me and introduced me to a young soldier named Jerry Green. And... Uh, Jerry challenged me right away with the gospel. It didn't make any sense to me. I had no Bible background. I had no church background. I didn't know what he was talking about. But I did have a lot of experience of being a very active atheist, and so I, I was very argumentative. And I, we had quite an argument for two or three hours. Finally, Jerry kind of gave up, and he says, Oh, he said, I just realized something, Sarge. He said, you're arguing from a position of ignorance. I said, what do you mean? He said, you don't know what you're talking about. He said, I challenge you every day for a week, read the Gospel of John, and then come back and we'll argue some more about this. Well, by the grace of God, it, it didn't, it didn't uh, last a week. It lasted eight weeks. I won't go into that's a whole story in itself. But for eight weeks, I read the Gospel of John over and over and over. And I could keep on saying over and over and over. But the very first time that I read through the Gospel of John, when I got to verse 10 in chapter 10, John 10, 10, where Jesus was talking to his disciples and he says, the thief comes but to steal, steal and to kill, but I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And that got my attention because of what I've already said. I was a walking around dead man, actually walking around dead man. I just hadn't pulled the trigger yet. But I kept on reading. And another section of scripture that got my attention was back in John 20 after Doubting Thomas had uh, been challenged to put his fingers in the holes in Jesus' hands and his hand in the side where the spirit pierced. 
says, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He said that in verse 10, back in chapter 10. And I says, I've given you this so that you might believe and you might have life. Life. By believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And I kept reading that and reading that and reading that. And then one of the verses that was on the screen tonight was very important to me. It might have meant nothing to some of you. But John 3.17 was extremely important to me. Because, see, I had a, I had a war going on with Christianity. <laughs> I saw it as a, as a fake thing. I, I saw it as just a, a myth. And so everything that I ever heard about Christianity was people... Standing up there telling you how awful you were, how bad you were, and where you were going to burn in hell and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but John 3.17 says, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So that played an important part. The further and the longer I read in the Gospel of John, the more I began to believe what I was reading. Until finally, just before Christmas, of 1962 in Kissingen, Germany I came to really believe everything that he said in there I didn't understand all of it but I accepted it as true but I was too proud to go back and tell Jerry that I wasn't too proud to tell him that he was right but I was too proud to tell him that I was wrong and had been wrong and knew I was wrong but right after Christmas, on the fourth, uh, as that, let's see, yes, on Christmas, I got to thinking about it very heavily. And on New Year's Eve, while everybody was out partying, I was all by myself in the barracks, miserable as usual. And I thought I'd go over and talk to Jerry to see if he was around. So I went over, and sure enough, Jerry was there. And he put on a pot of coffee, and we talked. And he explained the gospel to me more fully. He shared a few other scripture passages with me. We talked about it and he prayed for me. And on December the 31st, 1962, I fell on my face on top of a hill in Kitchigan, Germany called Flat Cassern. And I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my own personal savior. I was born again. I was given new life. And I recognized it, and I felt it, and I experienced it right away. There was no question about that. I suddenly had a a reason and a feeling that there was something to live for. There was a purpose for living. Whereas before, all I wanted to do was just end it all, just die. Because I was, well, really, I was already dead, if you get right down technically to it. I was spiritually dead. And so, but you see, the the new birth and new life... uh, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. And uh, in studying other scriptures, I came across Philippians 1.6. And I really believe that's true in my life even today. Yes. Since the new life is just the beginning, there needs to be some things taken care of. Remember, I was totally ignorant of the Bible. I was totally ignorant about Christianity. I was totally ignorant about church. And I guess God knew that, and he began to work on me. 
and he's still working on me. As a matter of fact, it's a little song we used to sing. Uh, I, I think I've sung it a couple of times since I was teaching, but used to when I was teaching, uh, we used to sing that in class sometimes. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the earth and the sun and Jupiter and Mars. But he's still working on me. He's still working on me. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Thank you, Cormie. Appreciate you, brother. For us to experience the new life that Christ came to bring us, in which Cormie so powerfully talked about, for us to experience the gift of Christmas and what it's really about, we have to totally, totally, personally, really believe that He gave Himself for us, that He, Jesus, truly did come. He was born, he lived, he loved, he worked, and he died, and he rose again, all to give us life, all to give us life. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the true story of Christmas. Is it yours? Is it your story today? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. For those of you who have already done this, you are in Christ today, praise God, hallelujah. But I say this as a, as a loving reminder. Jesus gave us life by giving up his life. And the only fitting response to that, the only response that makes sense at all, is that we give our lives to him, continually, completely. Here's our response to all that we have been given by Jesus Christ. Here's our response. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this. And he died for all. He, Jesus, died for all. That those, the result of him dying for all is this. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, which we're all prone to do. That's our natural disposition But he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake, my sake, your sake, who for their sake died and was raised. Praise be to the Savior. No one like him. And like I've challenged you, church, with all the other gifts we've talked about in this series, we also have to re-gift this. If you've been given the gift of life, if you've received the gift of life through Christ, then you need to take the ministry of reconciliation, like we talked about last week, also in 2 Corinthians 5. We're the ambassadors of Christ. We've been reconciled to God. Now we've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation to go out and to bring others to the Savior that we have. So re-gift this. Like all the other gifts we've talked about, re-gift this. Don't hang on to it. Don't keep it to yourself. Go out and share life with those who do not have life. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. What a Christmas it would be for you if this Christmas... You gave yourself to the one who gave himself for you.
What a Christmas it would be if, if this year, this day, you who have not yet given your life to Christ, received him as your Savior and your Lord, that this would be the day you do that. I wonder, is there anybody that would say, yeah, that's me, I've not received the gift of Christ yet. I haven't given him my life. He's not my Savior and my Lord, but I want him to be. Is there anyone who would say, that's me? Anyone at all? Okay. Then, Christian, you've been given new life. What an amazing gift that is. Something to be in awe of. Something to be excited about. Something to share with all those who need to hear the truth that life is available to them. Not just eternal and far off, but full and abundant here and now. Is there any one of you, Christian, who would say, pray for me, please, Pastor, that I will own the fact that I am an ambassador of Christ, that I will share the life that I've been given with those who do not have it. I'm not doing that at all. Please pray for me that I will follow through with the responsibility that I have to be the ambassador to Christ that I'm supposed to. Anyone would say, that's me, pray for me. Thank you, appreciate your honesty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, God, for, once again, for Christmas. Thank you for the advent of your son. Thank you that he came. And we can look back and see that he did come, he really did live, he really did love and work and teach and guide and direct, and then he really did give his life on the cross, but that wasn't the final word. He really did rise from the dead. He really did ascend where he is really with you now interceding. Thank you. But Father, the advent of your Son is twofold, and it's the advent, the first one that he already came and completed, and then there's one yet remaining, the the second appearing, the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, all of us, to be fueled with a passion and a constant eagerness of looking ahead at the appearing of your Son, coming in glory with the angels to receive all who are in him finally and fully to himself where we will always be with the Lord. I say with the Apostle John, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for new life. Thank you for giving us life through through the life of your son that you We're pleased, as we're told in Isaiah, you were pleased to crush for our sake. Help us, please, to constantly give our life to him. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray these things.